Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. Well, I want to welcome you to week two of a six-week journey that we're on together where we're looking at a question that all of us ask, and that is, who am I? And I found it interesting about this question in my own life and in the lives of others, and that is that we never stop asking the question, and when life changes and when life shifts and we have different successes and failures and circumstances, we keep wanting to look at our lives through the lens of knowing who we really are supposed to be in those moments. And the little tagline that we're on, this, this journey that we're on is a, is a journey of discovery. And what we really wanna discover is, who does God say that we are? Who has he created us to be? What are the gifts, what are the talents, what are the, the purposes and plans that God has for us because we learn along the way pretty quick that nothing else really can tell us who we are. So that's the journey that we've started. We're on the journey. I'm so excited that all of you are joining in. I'm gonna ask you if you have your Bibles for this week to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18. I'm gonna look at verse six and then we're gonna look at some other passages in 1 Samuel 20 as well as we continue the journey last week talking about this idea of insecurity and how do we deal with that and when I don't feel like I measure up and we're gonna look at a, a close cousin and really these, these issues sort of connect together and we're gonna talk about who we are as we're compared to others. Who am I when I'm compared to others? And so I'm, I'm so excited about all of you that are on the journey. We have hundreds of groups. We have thousands of people in groups all over um, our entire region. And I'm so proud of all of you for jumping in and, and really participating in that process because I know this more than just what we're doing here, which is powerful. I wanna welcome those watching online. I wanna welcome those at our McKinney campus who are joining in live with us as well. And then also wanna welcome all of you that make room and make space. We had people parked on every piece of grass that we own here almost uh, last weekend. So those of you at 12.30, I wanna thank you for attending that service. Would you give all of those that are joining in with us as well a round of applause, but it's, it's important what we're doing right here because we're, we're learning some things. This is a book that I wrote called Who Am I? And so we're unpacking that, we're looking at it, but really I find that the real transformation and change that we're looking for happens when we get in these circles, these, these groups, we call them small groups. And uh, so I've heard about a lot of you that have been participating in those. Um, Riley is a football coach. Uh, he got baptized here. I'm really excited about his group. Riley uh, is seeing a, a whole lot of other football coaches uh, reached, and so we're excited about Riley Dodge and his whole group and what God's doing there. And I heard about Mary. Mary stepped out and led a group, and she's at one of our hospitals, a children's hospital. She's reaching out to those that are in that uh, environment, and so I'm excited about that as well. Dale. Dale came, he's new to Milestone, went through our grow track process, and uh, he's uh, in the, I think, in the city of Southlake, different, I don't know exactly what 
areas of that, but uh, there's several of the folks that are in that environment. And so um, I really love my group last week. We really, it was amazing. I'm hearing this from a lot of you that, that God's just, there's just a grace there and people are opening up because I think it, it's just, it's one of those topics that, that just invites more transparency. And so I was really excited about my group uh, last week and, and we really just sort of jumped in. That's always cool in a group when you just jump in and start opening up. And so I'm just excited for you and I'm very proud of you for living life the way Jesus lived, the way the early church lived and uh, getting in those circles. And if you're still wanting to join the journey, I know you're like, well, it seems like you guys are already going. There's a lot of groups that are still inviting and wanting more people and needing to connect. So you can go right there uh, to that little area, whoamibook.com, and you can find a small group. We'd love to have you join us on the journey. We're talking about comparison, though, and I want you to know comparison is one of those things that can shape your identity in a negative way. And if you get an understanding of what God's wanting to do with this comparison problem, the converse is true. Your identity can be shaped in a way that God wants it to be shaped. And so we're gonna look at some Bible characters and we're gonna talk about this comparison issue, but um, it's really big just in our culture, it's always been a part of who we are, but it's just big with technology today and all of the ways we have windows into one another's lives. Um, that can be used for a positive, but it also can fuel comparison so much. I mean, we really didn't know that much about what other people were doing uh, until this now advent of social media and all of the different ways. We have so many windows but really the root issue is still something that's, that's in our hearts. And I think all of us can relate to moments where we started recognizing how we measured up and were compared to other people. It's just kind of part of our, our culture. And so I know even in my house, uh, we've always measured our kids on, the, on a door, you know, and they love kind of getting against that and seeing how they measure up and did I grow and how do I relate to my siblings? Am I getting taller and how many inches did I grow? I remember one of my favorite stories to tell is I remember the first time I felt some sense of rejection with my peers when it comes to comparison, okay? And it had to do with baseball. You start out in baseball, at least when I was a kid, you start out with T-ball, okay? And, uh, and you know, in T-ball, nobody really cares. You're picking flowers, you know, it doesn't matter. Some of y'all are laughing because you got a kid picking flowers. Look, they'll be okay, okay? They're gonna be fine, you know? So you're just whatever, you know? And, and, and then, but when I was a kid, you know, you, you didn't have what you, a lot of kids have today, Today, you, you kind of graduate to a little bit intermediate step, and then you have kind of coach pitch, and if you don't hit it from the coach, then they put it on the tee, let you hit it. When I was a kid, you know, you went straight from tee ball to another person throwing a hard object that hadn't had a lot of experience throwing a hard object. And, and, and I had fear as a kid, and this is when I first started understanding a little comparison. I always had more fear because I was a kid who analyzed scenarios. 
And I'm like, wait a minute, this, 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 this brother doesn't have a lot of experience. And, and I'm watching him warm up, and he's hit the backstop like five times in his warm-up period. This is not good. But I saw my friends, and they were better than me. I was a slow-developing kid, you know, and so I, I was just... They were, they were better than me, and so they did it. So my, you know, it's like, okay, I get up there, and sure enough, I get up there, and I stand in the batter's box, this huge kid throwing what it seemed to be like 100 miles an hour, throws the ball, hit me in the side, bam! I'm like, I'm done with that, brother. I mean, I quit. <laughs> my dad thought he would use a little reverse psychology on me. He goes, Jeff, look, 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 your friends, everybody, if, if you're gonna act that way, go sit with your mom. I said, phenomenal. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm into that. I just, just sit up here with mom, you know? No hard objects. I don't see any hard objects flying around. Snow cones? Yeah, I like that too. And that's one story I love to tell because it was the first time when I dealt with that and realized, you know what, I actually went and sat with my mom and then had to go to school and deal with the implications of the comparison of where I was athletically. And so it was the first time I started recognizing, you know what? There's, there's comparison at work, and, and I don't know where that is in your life that you started recognizing it, but what I will say is comparison fuels the negative and toxic emotions in our souls. It fuels insecurity. It fuels, that's what we talked about last week. It fuels pride. It, it fuels so many things in our souls and it can keep us from living out really what God's plan for us to live and who we're called to be. I, I love in this, in this journey we're on, we're not just talking about some of these things that, that God wants us to understand and helping us understand who we are, but we're looking at the Bible. We're looking at Bible stories, and that's one of my passions, is for you to feel like you can pick up the Bible and kind of understand the overall landscape of it and some of the, the characters in the Bible. And so in this area that I told you to turn to in 1 Samuel 18, I, I can't hit everything, but I wanna, I wanna give you a landscape, and then I wanna show you the comparison challenge for just a minute, okay? There's three main characters in this narrative, and the Bible's so good at storytelling, but the first character that's, that's really mentioned is this character named Saul, and Saul is, is just seen the way the Bible portrays him as the all-American, as the one who has it going on, the one who's chosen, and of course, he just has this rise to power, and uh, he, is, he is, has this kingdom going on, and Yet he has some challenges that are in his soul in regards to comparison. And uh, he hits some moments where there's this big challenge with the Philistine army, and, and there, there enters in a little bit to the story here this other character named David. You may have heard of him. He's, he's one of the most popular uh, characters in the Bible, one of the biggest figures. And, and David, the way the Bible portrays him the, the Bible says he was ruddy. The Bible says that he had some good appearances about him. But when we see his story, the Bible's showing him as somewhat of the underdog. And, and when the prophet is coming to make choices for who needs to be anointed, his father, because he's younger and he's kind of out here, he just, he's not really even part of the, the, the choice. He's, he's seen as the, the one who's not picked. The, the underdog, the, the one that's overlooked. 
You, you may have felt that. You may have felt like, you know, like what I was talking about, you wouldn't pick me on your baseball team sitting with, your, with the mom. It's interesting, some people who are picked in athletics are not picked in the classroom. So there's people that feel undervalued because they struggle with school and they find value in other things like athletics or somewhere in your childhood, guess what? Everywhere around our world is somebody that's better at something that we're not good at. And so we feel that in our adolescence, but it doesn't stop. This comparison game continues on as we move into you know, getting picked for different type of things or being picked in terms of being in the in crowd relationally and why, and so we talk about cliques and in groups and, 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 and young people talk about that today more than ever with social media or I, I talked to a lady who, who she says when she was in college and just kind of in that phase of getting married, she got married later, she was like a bridesmaid like 10 times. And she was just like, man, I appreciate you know wearing the bridesmaid dress, but I'd like to get picked. I'd like to say yes to the dress. <laughs> and it's kind of like, this is getting old. When's somebody gonna pick me? getting picked for your best college or getting picked for the person who gets the promotion. You may have been working on something for several years and somebody else on the team gets picked. Well, the Bible shows us this, this person who seems ordinary, who's not the first choice, how God can still work through their lives if they understand some things about what God's really after. And the Bible accentuates David's heart and the Bible accentuates some of the unseen things that he was being trained in that wasn't necessarily making public headlines. There's another person in this story, though, and a lot of times people contrast this issue with Saul and David that we're about to read with the comparison challenge that Saul had, but there's another person in the story, and his name is Jonathan. And Jonathan was the son of Saul and the rightful heir to the kingdom, and the truth is, out of all three characters, the one who should have struggled the most with comparison and insecurity and pride should have been Jonathan. But actually, Jonathan lives, as we see his story, with a large amount of peace and a lack of anxiety. And the Bible doesn't seem to portray that he had the same demons that his father struggled with. And so we must ask ourselves the question, why? I wanna show you this this young boy, David, he's trained kind of in obscurity and he comes up to a big moment. You, many of you probably know the story. Talk about the largest underdog story in the Bible. The shepherd boy who steps out, he had gotten connected to Saul's kingdom and he's playing music for Saul and he's there and then all of a sudden the Philistines are taunting them and there's this big giant that's taunting and so Saul says, wear my armor. He says, look, I haven't tested that. I haven't proven that. He walks out with some stones and he kills this big, huge giant and it's this great celebration and he cuts his head off and takes it back to Jerusalem and it's this big moment. Saul should have, A, because he's part of his world, should have, seen that as a celebration because now look, this person who doesn't seem as if they should be celebrated has done something great, but Saul didn't see it through that lens. He, he could, have, could have shared in the victory of this, this shepherd boy who now is stepping into his moment. He didn't see it that way because comparison was in his heart. He should have celebrated just for the simple fact that they're no longer being taunted and this threat of the Philistines had been taken care of. But look how he sees it. 
1 Samuel 18, 6, he says, when the men were returning home, after David had killed the Philistine, the woman, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. And they danced and they sang. By the way, this is a song. We don't even know if it's proper measurement. But let me just say, Saul's measuring. It says, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Look what it says. As a result of the comparison of the numbers and him feeling this idea of comparison, it says Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. And look at it says, they have credited David. Comparison is always concerned with who's getting the credit. Comparison always fuels who's getting the credit. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but with me, only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. So what was Saul keeping a close eye on? He wasn't keeping a close eye on stewarding his gifts. He wasn't keeping a close eye on stewarding his own emotions. He wasn't keeping his own heart in check. He was keeping all his focus and his eye on David. And that comparison, I will tell you, ultimately led to him not completing and fulfilling everything that God had for his life because it just continued to fuel all of these negative things. Jonathan, not the case. Jonathan actually tells David, I wanna try to help you. I wanna try to, to reason. He, he had a different idea and he really should have been the one that was the most jealous and the most insecure. And it ultimately led to him having conflict with his father. Look what it says in 1 Samuel 20, verse 30 through 32. It says, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, his own son. Comparison gets him to even start having anger toward the people he loves the most. Flared up at Jonathan, he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Um, my wife doesn't allow us to say shut up at our house. I'm pretty sure that should get your mouth washed out with soap, okay? And that's, 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 that's oh, let's just not good words there, okay? Let's just, that's a different message, okay? But anyway, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Look at Jonathan's posture. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. Saul lived with comparison and all of the emotions that go with it. He was tormented literally by an entire spiritual atmosphere around his soul, Jonathan lives in a totally different way. And so what is this story telling us? That the moment that you start playing the comparison game, you give up long-term peace, you give up joy, and you trade it for anxiety, worry, and fear. And even if you're seeing some victories, you still are tormented by these toxic emotions. I always love to just kind of think about a snapshot of scripture, and, and here's what I, I say it is, is comparison, it's actually a game that you can't win. It's a, it's an, it's a losing endeavor, because every time we move into comparison, Every time you spend time looking at someone else's world and superimpose what's lacking in yours, 
on social media or the person at work or the person who got promoted or the person who is, is, is whatever, maybe strong in an area that you're not, you're playing a game you can't win. And every time we move into that comparison like Saul did, okay, thousands, tens of thousands, and we focus that way, we're literally, it's like we're putting a defibrillator on all of the negative things that are in our soul. My daughter, Lauren Elizabeth, she likes to watch these medical dramas, so usually sometime during the week, she and I, the DVR, will sit and we'll watch these medical, you know, drama type deals. And, and when I've talked to my medical friends, the doctors in the church, they say, look, it's, a, it's like, is it realistic? They're like, eh, somewhat. But, but they, I'll tell you what they love to do on these is they, they pull those defibrillators out like two, three times a show, because that's what we really want. Clear, poopah. <laughs> we, we wanna see all that, you know? And, and that's, that's the way it is with comparison. We talked about insecurity last week. You wanna charge it up in your life? Get into comparison. Because it'll charge that up. It'll charge every toxic, negative emotion that you can possibly imagine in your life. You're like, Jeff, okay, I see, I see Saul's story. I see how it crippled him. I see, man, what a great example of Jonathan. I see what God did with David. I see these characters. Um, I, I, see the, I see it in operation because we all have it in our lives. We all do. We all have a tendency to lean that way. But you're like, okay, what do we do about it? Well, I wanna give you three, three or four things to stop, like to, to avoid, okay? So I wanna, I wanna talk about some things we can stop in our lives to kill the comparison, then I wanna leave you with one thing that'll really kill it, okay? So there's, there's a stopping process, but there's also a proactive process. Here's number one. Stop finding your identity in things that are measured. I'm talking about finding your identity. Does that mean that you shouldn't have measurements at work or you shouldn't have performance evaluations or you shouldn't measure how much money's in your bank account so you don't overdraft? God's not against measurement. In fact, if you read the Bible, there's a lot of things he measured and calculated and numbered. That's not, that's, that's not the point. The point is finding your identity in that. Finding your identity in it actually causes you to not actually see good performance because it's the wrong motivator. Had a girl at Elevate, I think she was maybe a seventh or eighth grade girl at Elevate when I spoke at Elevate. And they had such fantastic questions, but this, this young girl came up to me and she said, Pastor, I have a question. I said, yeah, shoot, what? She said, Pastor, I wanna know, like, tell me about like all religions. Tell, tell me how they work, okay? Tell me how all the other religions and then like Christianity and what you believe in, tell me how this all stacks up together. So tell me about the religions and tell me about Christianity. I said, well, first of all, Christianity's it's based on Jesus. And I said, all other religions, and by the way, this, this walk with Jesus, it's not a religion. It's about a relationship. I understand that it's officially classified under a set of religious ideas, but really, technically, it's about a relationship. And so she's sitting there listening. I said, look, all religions are based on some type of metric or even certain traditions that, have it, that are missing it in terms of Jesus. 
It's, it's all about a measurement. So there's some spiritual person who lays out some type of ideology, some type of metric, some type of spiritual system that you need to adhere to. You're constantly wondering if you're actually getting it right because you don't know because a lot of it's nebulous, but even the steps you do know that you should take, you don't always know if you're actually taking them or not and you're trying to live up to them and you usually feel good about yourself by comparing yourself to someone else and as long as you're doing more of the system than someone else, then you feel spiritual. Now one big difference in all these other religions that are based on measurement and based on doing is that all of the founders of those religions are dead. Jesus is still alive. And Jesus is about a relationship. And what Jesus says, which is totally different than religion, do this, Jesus comes to us, says something powerful, says, look, I know you realize you can't measure up. I know you're trying to compare yourself to somebody that's not spiritual or somebody that is spiritual, both of which make you feel like a loser. And Jesus says, you don't measure up, I know it. So Jesus comes, lives a perfect life, and he hangs on the cross and says, measure me. He dies for us and he raises from the dead and because he's alive, we don't have to find our identity spiritually or otherwise in things that are quantifiable and measurable because all of them make us wanna quit. We now can find our identity in a living savior who comes to live inside of us. And he comes to dwell within us. And so we're not moving toward these systems to try to find approval anymore. We're now moving from a relationship with a perfect Jesus. That's why the Bible encourages us in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. And, and this, is, this is so important in, as it come, becomes very clear to you about, okay, wait a minute, what am I finding my identity in? When you find it in Christ, who is the perfect sacrifice, what happens is you now have the ability to walk out everything he's called you to do from a position of strength because it's not based on comparing yourself to somebody else. And ultimately, if you live spiritually comparing or emotionally comparing or practically comparing, here's what'll ultimately happen. It's a game you can't win and you will quit. No matter how strong you are, eventually you will quit because you will run into someone who is better than you. You will eventually quit. You will just stop. And that's just like when you're playing games with your kids, they love to play until they realize they're losing. And then it's like, I ain't playing. It's like the Super Bowl tonight. We're from Texas. I know a lot of you are new. We're Dallas Cowboy fans. It's America's team, okay? And so our team's not playing. We can't root for the Eagles, and everybody hates Tom Brady, so we can't root for the Patriots. So we're going to the Super Bowl for the food. If you wanna send in an email of what food you're having, I could make a guest appearance depending on how good it is. You know what I'm saying? We're going for the commercials. Isn't it funny when your team's playing, it's like, everybody quiet down. This is so serious. I mean, you know, and when your team's not playing, it's like, ah, yeah, well, I wasn't into it anyway. That, that's just a natural reaction to, if we don't think we have a chance to win, we ultimately quit. We ultimately quit. I'd rather, I'll tell you, I like to win. And you know what? I think Jesus wants us to grow and develop and be who he's called us to be, but I would rather be a loser 
that knows how to receive the grace of God than a winner who's only depending on my own strength to win. I'd rather be, because you know what? Ultimately, the story of the Bible is those who know how to rely on his strength over their weaknesses are ultimately are the people that God can use long term, okay? Here's number two, stop allowing fear to make you territorial. That's the problem with comparison is it isolates you because you become territorial. And the only reason you become territorial is you have a small view of God. See, comparison makes you have a small view of God instead of a large view of God. The people who have a large view of God are life-giving people. They are people who live to impress God and God alone. They are people that understand it's his strength and not their strength and ability. And so over time, if you have a small view of God, it just limits you. And this is the secret to being content. How do you not have anxiety about tomorrow? How do you have real contentment? It says you have a big view of God that doesn't make you territorial. Look what Galatians says here, Galatians 6, 4. Each one of you should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. The story of David is someone in obscurity, being faithful, having a heart after God, doing what God's asked him. The story of Saul is he's getting more accolade and so he spends his time with his eye on David. So it makes you territorial. Let me give you a picture of it, how I think about it. Something you could have at your Super Bowl party that would be really good. I give them actually a little footnote. Maybe, maybe they might give me bunt cake free for a year, but I mentioned the nothing bunt cake. Can I have a witness in the house? I realize there are other bunt cakes, but let me just tell you that thing, man, it is, it is, it is so right in so many ways. It is so powerful. That cream cheese icing over the top, I mean, the Holy Spirit has touched it. I mean, just boom, just touched it with power. When I get one of these every now and then, somebody will give me a nothing bunt cake, I'll bring it home, and I have a lot of teenagers in my house, and they bring their friends over, and what's, what happens is this bunt cake, man, it starts getting sliced up, and it's going away, and every slice means I'm gonna get one piece less. This is such a powerful principle. People who live with so much comparison and fear and territorialism, we've all been guilty of it, I have too. When we do that, here's what we're thinking. There's a limited supply. There's a limited God. Because there's a limitation to the bunt cake. But there's no limit to God. You know why we have to put our identity in Jesus? Because the Bible says of Jesus' love, there's no height, there's no depth, there's no way to measure the greatness of his love and approval for us. It's immeasurable. As the math term is zero sum. There's no, the, 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 in God, there's no zero sum. There's no finite amount. And so we can celebrate what God's doing in someone else's life. In fact, I call it a dog bowl spirit. You know, you ever been around, you can have the friendliest dog and get around them while they're eating and they're like, <laughs> and people, so many people live that way. It's like, <laughs> comparison has shot to life insecurity, fear, anxieties in their life. It makes them guard. Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison steals from you your joy, okay? 
Here's number three. Number three, talking about the stops. You have to stop devaluing others. You have to stop devaluing others, and then we're gonna get to that last thing, which is where we really need to go, but we have to stop this. And so I wanna go just a little bit deeper where comparison works, and we might not think we're capable of this, but it can happen where we not only are just living with it in our own emotions, but notice what happened to Saul. Saul started looking to kill David because comparison will actually make you not just have your own struggles, but comparison can make you start to find, listen, this is dark, actually find pleasure and joy in someone else's demise. You can begin to find that. I found a German word, and uh, we have a German guy here at the Keller campus who's been correcting me all weekend on how to pronounce it. The, 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 the Texas pronunciation is like, hey y'all, Shaden Freud. Let me see if I can hit it. He said it's Schaden, Schadenfreude, something like that. Schadenfreude, but anyway. It's a German word, and what it means is, and I'm gonna tell you, we see this online. We see it behind the scenes. And you know what? We hate it when, it, when we see it in our own heart. Literally looking to see someone else go through some type of struggle because comparison is at work in our own lives, devaluing others. You say, how, how, do we, how do we really deal with this? Not just by stopping, but, but how do we really kill it, okay? Because this thing will flare up in us, okay? It'll flare up in us, and willpower can't get it done. I like to think of a grease fire, okay? A grease fire, you, you can't put water on a grease fire. And I'm gonna tell you, some of you, you have social media things, you're looking and it's just like, look at her, yeah. their vacation, their workout plan, their life, their this, and even if you think I'm coping with it well, a lot of times you have to be careful because it's starting to catch on fire things in your soul. You start, what do I do about it? Well look, you can't just have willpower. You can't just go, you know what, I'm just gonna try not to do that. I'm just gonna try not to go there. I'm gonna try not to look at that person. You have it on your teams. The person gets promoted. The person has a gift you want. The person is walking in some of the things you want. And man, it'll, whew, it'll catch on fire. You're like, okay, what do I do about it, pastor? We well, have to stop these things, but I'm gonna tell you, you can't put water on a grease fire. You have to put baking soda, some kind of dry chemical to put it out. And here's God's antidote. Here's, here it is, very simply. Celebrate others. Celebrate others. Wake up every day to add value to others. Now, some of you are like, I don't know how to do that. And let me tell you, where do you get the power to do it? It's when you know you're celebrated by God. How did Jesus live to serve? How did Jesus humble himself? How did Jesus serve? How did Jesus do it? He lived from the moment at his baptism where his father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And if every day you know, even if the people around you are not celebrating you, when you receive that affirmation from the father, then now you have the source to celebrate somebody else. I'm gonna tell you, this can change the dynamic in your home. Less criticism, more celebration. Less evaluation, more celebration. You wanna be a good team member? You're like, oh, they're always getting promoted. Let me promise you this. You become the team member that celebrates others and values others, your promotion is coming. Your promotion is coming. 
but you've got to get outside yourself a little bit and go, you know what, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to celebrate somebody else today. I'm going to pray for somebody else's dreams. I'm going to, I'm going to revel in someone else's victories. I'm going to, I'm going to look for someone else out there that I can blow wind into. You know what it does? It kills comparison in you. Kills it. Just, just puts just bacon soda on the fire. Just, just kills it every time. I'm going to give you some homework this week. Okay? I modeled this for you, by the way. I usually start most messages by celebrating you. I tell you how proud I am of you, how much I love you, and it's true. I celebrate you as a pastor. I, I had a, a guy come several years ago and go, you're always telling them they're generous. He asked me privately, he goes, is that true? Is that true? I said, well, it is true. I pastor a generous church. But I said, you know what? Even if it wasn't true, I'd keep telling them that because you become and lean in toward the people that encourage you toward where you're going. You just keep saying that. You keep saying that. You just keep encouraging one another, giving value to others. I'm gonna give you some homework this week. Did you know people are coming into these small groups, all these thousands of people? And you know what? They're coming in going, man, especially if it's their first time, am I as spiritual as these people? You know, what, what, what about this? You know, what do I do? I know a guy that's coming here at the Keller campus to 101. And I said, I, I talked to him about coming to 101. He said, now you're, you're not gonna make me speak or anything. And I said, no, you're gonna lead the class. No, he said, no. It's just amazing how the enemy gets us coming into a small, well, I don't know if I, you know what? I tell people this all the time. Send the note, send the text. Tell someone around you. Tell someone in your small group that you know is feeling that way. Hey, I'm proud of you. You made a huge step just by coming. You made a huge step just by being here. Celebrate others. And when your focus is off of you, it's amazing how much contentment and joy and peace starts to flood into your soul. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads with me. I'm gonna pray for you. Some of you here, you've been trapped in that religious system I'm gonna ask you, unless it's an emergency, and I'm, I'm talking to those of you online as well, those of you at 1230, but I'm gonna ask you if it's not an emergency just to hold tight with me for just a minute, for just a second. This is an important moment in the lives of people. Now, I just feel there's some of you, when I started talking about that religious measurement, well, I, I've tried to do this, I've tried to do that. I never really knew, Jeff, if I was hitting the target, but I'm, I'm trying to do the right things, and I'm hoping that Jesus will see it and approve of me. Let me tell you, the message of Jesus is not for you to try to do the right things, but that Jesus is right. And he wants to come into your world that's not right and change you. And you're like, Jeff, how do I do that? Well, you just simply ask him. You simply surrender. You say, Jesus, come into my life. Become my Lord and Savior. I believe you died for me to meet the standard of a holy, perfect God. That's why you had to die. I believe you rose from the dead. And you're alive. So I want you to come live inside of me. Become my Jesus. If you prayed that, the Bible says now you're born again. You're a new creation. And I'm gonna ask you, if you would, to let us know to fill out one of the communication cards. Maybe you're here or, or even at the McKinney campus, you can go to 101 today. I would love to meet you there if you prayed that prayer with me so we can help you start taking some steps and how you can grow in God. But I wanna pray for a second group of us and I wanna pray for all of us, myself included. Lord, would you help us 
We, we don't want that thing that plagued Saul that limited him from all you had designed for him. Lord, let us walk in such a way as to live for your approval, to live for your affirmation, and to ultimately come to a place where every day we wake up to add value and celebrate others. We can kill that comparison trap. Lord, we don't wanna live measuring ourselves and commending ourselves and looking at ourselves through the lens of someone else. We wanna run our race. We wanna discover who we're created to be. Lord, we wanna steward what you've put inside of us. So help us by your grace have the ability to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com. 